volume one chapters six and seven of a strange world by mary elizabeth braddon this librivox recording is in the public domain six there is no life on earth but being in love the first faint streak of day parted the eastern clouds when james penwin got back to the waterfowl but late as it was and though a long day's various fatigues might have invited him to repose maurice clissold had waited up for his friend he was walking up and down the inn parlour where empty bottles and glasses cigar ashes and a broken clay pipe or two bestrewed the table and gave a rakish look to the room the window stood wide open to the pale cold dawn and the air was chill not gone to bed yet maurice exclaimed james surprised and perhaps somewhat embarrassed by this unexpected encounter i was in no humour for sleep i never can sleep when i have anything on my mind i waited up to ask you a question jim something like defiance sparkled in mr penwin's eyes as he planted himself upon the arm of the substantial old sofa and lighted a final cigar don't restrain your eloquence he said i should hardly have considered four o'clock in the morning a time for conversation but if you think so i'm at your service i want to know in plain words what you mean by this james by what your conduct to that girl i shouldn't think anything so simple needed explanation i meet a strolling player and his daughter the strolling player is something of a character the daughter well not pretty perhaps though she has lovely eyes but interesting i offer them the small attention of a supper and seeing that my friend the player is a trifle the worse for the champagne consumed humanity urges me to escort the young lady to her own door lest her father should lead her into one of the ditches which beset the way i believe that is the sum total of my offences it sounds simple enough jim answered the other gravely but not unkindly and i dare say no harm will come of it if you let things stop exactly where they are but i watched you and that poor child to-night she is little more than a child at best and i saw that you were doing your utmost unconsciously perhaps to turn her silly head i saw you together in the moonlight afterwards if there was anything sentimental you must blame the moon not me said james lightly and now you talk of spending to-morrow with these people and taking them to the races and i mean to do it there's a freshness about them that amuses me i've been getting rather tired of nature and greek though of course we've had an uncommonly jolly time of it together dear old boy and i find a relief in a glimpse of real life when you turn mentor you make yourself intensely disagreeable do you suppose that i harbour one wicked intention about this girl no james i don't suppose you do if i thought you were a deliberate sinner i should leave you to go your own road and only try to save the girl but i know what misery has been wrought in this world by gentlemanly trifling and what still deeper wretchedness has been brought about by unequal marriages do you suppose i think of marrying mr elgood's daughter because i say a few civil words to her cried james forgetting how much earnestness there had been in those civil words only an hour ago if you have no such thought you have no right to cultivate an acquaintance that can only lead an unhappiness to her if not to yourself james answered with a sneer to which clissold replied somewhat warmly and there were angry words between the two young men before they parted in the corridor outside their bedrooms the people of the house already thinking about morning heard the raised voices and angry tones heard and remembered it was ten o'clock when james penwin went down to breakfast next morning the sun was shining in at the open windows 
all traces of last night's revelry were removed the room was in the nicest order the table spread for breakfast with spotless linen and shining tea-service but only set for one james plucked impatiently at the bell-rope it irked him not to see his friend's face on the other side of the board he had come downstairs prepared to make peace on the easiest terms ready even to own himself to blame has mr clissold breakfasted he asked the girl who answered his summons no sir he wouldn't stop for breakfast he went out soon after seven this morning with his fishing-rod and you left a note please sir there it was among the shells and shepherdesses on the mantelpiece a little pencil scrawl twisted into a cocked hat dear jim since it seems that my counsel irritates and annoys you i take myself off for a day's fly-fishing you must please yourself about the races only remember that it is easy for a man to drift upon quicksands from which he can hardly extricate himself without the loss of honour or of happiness the sum total of a man's life depends very much upon what he does with the first years of his manhood i shall be back before night yours always m c james penwin read and re-read the brief epistle musing over it frowningly it was rather tiresome to have a friend who took such a serious view of trifles towards what quicksand was he drifting was it a dishonourable thing to admire beautiful eyes to wish to do some kindness to a friendless girl en passant as to the races he could not dream of disappointing the people he had invited was he to treat them cavalierly because they were poor he rang the bell again and ordered the largest lando or barouche which the waterfowl could obtain for him with a pair of good horses and get me up a picnic basket he said and plenty of champagne at two and twenty with the revenues of penwin manor at his command a man could hardly do things shabbily he had arranged everything with his guests the dempsons and the elgoods lodged in the same house an ancient dwelling not far from the archway at the lower end of the city mr penwin was to call for them in a carriage at twelve o'clock and they were to drive straight to the race-course james breakfasted slowly and with little appetite he missed the companion whose talk had been wont to enliven all their meals he thought it unkind of maurice to leave him was at once angry with his friend and with himself for his contemptuous speeches of last night he left his breakfast unfinished at last and went out into the garden and down by the narrow river which had a different look by day it was beautiful still the winding stream with its sedgy banks and far-off background of low hills and the grave old city in the middle distance but it lacked the magic of night the mystic charms of moonbeam and shadow the scene even without the moonlight put him painfully in mind of last night when justina and he had sat side by side on the bench by yonder willow why shouldn't i marry her if i love her he said to himself i am my own master who will ask squire penwin for his wife's pedigree it isn't as if she were vulgar or ignorant she speaks like a lady and she seems to know as much as most of the girls i have met he strolled up and down by the river smoking and musing until the carriage was ready it was a capacious vehicle of the good old baker street repository build a vehicle which looked as if it had been a family travelling carriage about the period of the bourbon restoration and had done the tour of europe and been battered and bruised a good deal between the alps and the danube there was a vast amount of leather in its composition and more iron than sticklers for absolute elegance would desire whereby it jingled considerably in its progress but it was roomy and for a race-course that was the main point 
james drove to the dingy old street where the players lodged an old-fashioned street with queer old houses more picturesque than clean the players lodgings were above a small shop in the chandlery line and as there was no private door james had to enter the realms of dutch cheese kippered herrings and dip candles pendant from the low ceiling like stalactites in quest of his new acquaintance the ladies were ready but mr elgood was still in his shirt-sleeves and his countenance had a warm and shiny look as if but that moment washed justina came running down the stairs and into the shop where james welcomed her warmly she was quite a transformed and glorified justina decked in borrowed raiment which mrs dempson had good-naturedly supplied for the occasion there is no knowing what may come of to-day's outing the leading lady had remarked significantly mr penwin is young and foolish and seems actually taken with justina and it would be such a blessing if she could marry well poor child seeing that she has not a spark of talent for the profession justina wore a clean muslin dress which hardly reached her ankles a black silk jacket and a blue crape bonnet not too fresh but quite respectable a bonnet which had been pinned up in paper and carefully kept since last summer i shall trim it up with a feather or two and wear it for light comedy by and by said mrs dempson as she pulled the bonnet into shape upon justina's head the girl looked so happy that she was almost beautiful there was a soft bloom upon her cheek a tender depth in the dark blue eyes a joyous smiling look that charmed james penwin who liked people to be happy and enjoy themselves when he was in a humour for festivity how good of you to be ready cried james taking her out to the carriage and how bright and fresh and gay you look justina blushed conscious of her borrowed bonnet i've got a nice old rattle-trap to take us to the race-course oh beautiful exclaimed justina gazing at the patriarchal tub with respectful admiration are the others ready father's just putting on his coat and the dempsons are coming downstairs the dempsons appeared as she spoke mrs dempson superb in black moire antique and the pinkest of pink bonnets and a white lace shawl which had been washed a good many times and had rather too much darning in proportion to the pattern but as mrs dempson remarked always looked graceful it was her bridal veil as pauline de chapelle she wore it as juliet and as desdemona before the senate now then cried james as mr elgood appeared still struggling with his coat the carriage was packed without further delay mrs dempson and justina in the seat of honour mr penwin and mr dempson opposite them mr elgood on the box he had declared his preference for that seat off they went oh so gaily justina thought the landlady gazing at them from her shop door and quite a cluster of small children cheering their departure as if it had been a wedding mrs dempson said archly away they went through the quaint old city which wore its holiday look to-day crowds were pouring in from the station coffee-houses and eating-houses had set forth a rabelaisian abundance in their shining windows taverns were decorated with flags and greenery flies driven by excited coachmen with ribbons on their whips shot up and down the streets all was life and brightness and justina who had rarely ridden in a carriage felt that just in this one brief hour she could understand how duchesses and such people must feel seven let the world slip we shall ne'er be younger they left the town behind them and rattled along the wide high road for half a mile or so before they turned off to the race-ground perhaps the ebersham course is one of the prettiest in england 
an oval basin of richest greensward set among low wooded hills a water-pool shining here and there in the valley where the placid kine browse in pensive solitude save during race week when the placid kine are wisely withdrawn from the dangerous neighbourhood of tramps and gipsies and the wild excitement of the turf the grandstand a permanent building of white freestone looked very grand to justina's eyes as the family ark blundered and jingled into a place exactly opposite one of the best places on that privileged piece of ground for which james paid three shining sovereigns temporary stands of woodwork bordered the course crowded with warm humanity justina wondered where so many people came from and how it was so few of them came to the theatre and sighed to think that the drama has never taken a grip upon the public mind as a thoroughly national amusement see how the people congregated to-day tier above tier on yonder fragile stages pressed together with scarce breathing-room and yet there would be room to spare in the little theatre to-night justina feared despite immense attractions and an unparalleled combination of talent as advertised in the playbills but after this one sigh for the neglected drama justina abandoned herself to the delight of the hour and was supremely content james told her all about the horses how that one had done great things at newmarket how the other was winner of the chester cup he showed her the colours explained everything and the race assumed a new interest mr dempson left the carriage to stretch his legs a bit he said and see who was on the course but in reality because he was of a roving disposition and soon tired of repose mr elgood devoted himself exclusively to mrs dempson vilroy as he called her being more accustomed to her professional alias than the name she rendered illustrious in domestic life so james and justina were left to themselves and behaved very much as if they had been plighted lovers ever so long quite unconsciously upon justina's part for she knew little of real lovers and their ways presently there was a sudden stir a disbursement of pedestrians from the race-course as a policeman or two galloped up and down and the clerk of the course in his scarlet coat and buckskins cantered briskly over the grass then a dog driven past with hootings and ignominy then more ringing of bells the preliminary canter and then the race a few minutes of breathless attention a thundering rush past all the carriages and the eager atiptoe spectators and white jacket with red spots had pulled off the first stakes did you see it asked james turning to the girl's bright face glowing with excitement oh it was beautiful i don't wonder at people coming to races now i feel as if i had never been quite alive before just that one moment when the horses were tearing past it was wonderful a very fair race said james with a patronizing air but there were some wretched screws among them you'll see a better set by and by for the cup i fianassa the oaks winner is first favourite the bookmen call her free and easy for short and now we'll have a bottle of sham not a bad move said mr elgood approvingly that kind of thing makes a fellow dryish he made himself very useful in helping to open the baskets there were two hampers one for wine and the other for comestibles the waterfowl having done things handsomely mr elgood took one of the golden-necked bottles out of the rush-case found the glasses the nippers and opened the bottle as neatly as a waiter he had the lion's share of the wine for his trouble james and justina had only one glass between them they could very easily have had two but they liked this mutual goblet and sipped the bright wine gaily justina taking about as much as titania might have consumed from a chalice made of a harebell 
the champagne bottle was hardly open when a gipsy appeared at the carriage door as if attracted by the popping of the cork an elderly gipsy with an orange silk handkerchief tied across her black hair amongst which a few silver threads were visible she was the identical gipsy woman who had stopped james penwin and his companions yesterday afternoon by the river give the poor old gipsy woman a little drop of wine kind gentleman she asked insinuatingly justina drew back shuddering drew near her companion till her slight form pressed against his shoulder and he could feel that she trembled why what's the matter you timid bird he whispered tenderly drawing his arm round her by an instinctive movement they were standing up in the carriage as they had stood to see the race mrs dempson with her face towards the box whence mr elgood was pointing out features of interest on the course it's the same woman exclaimed justina in a half whisper what woman my pet it had come to this already and justina at this particular moment was too absorbed to remonstrate the woman who told you about the mark on your hand is it really i didn't notice answered james smiling at her concern the gipsy had gone to the next carriage whose occupants were in the act of discussing a bottle of sherry and a packet of appetizing sandwiches thin and daintily trimmed sandwiches made to provoke rather than appease appetite upon my word i didn't notice repeated james all gipsies are alike to my eye the same tawny skins the same shiny black hair but why should you be frightened at her pretty one she prophesied no evil about me no but she looked at you so curiously and then a line across the line of life that must mean something dreadful my dearest do you think any reasonable being believes in lines of life or any such bosh gipsies must have some kind of jargon or they could get no dupes but i think you and i are too wise to believe in their nonsense we'll give the harridan a tumbler of fizz and i'll warrant she'll prophesy smooth things hi mistress this way the gipsy having paid unfruitful homage to the carriage of sandwich consumers came quickly at james penwin's bidding let me drink your health pretty gentleman she pleaded and the health of the young lady that loves you best and i know of one that loves you well and a beautiful young lady and is well beloved by you you've courted a many young gentlemen in your time the old gypsy knows for you've a wicked eye and a wanton art but the most fickle must fix at last and may you never rove no more for you fixed upon one as can be constant to you thank you sir and here's health and happiness to you and the young lady and a short courtship and a long family and give the poor gypsy a morsel of something to eat like a dear young lady appealing to the blushing justina for fear the wine should turn acid upon my inside the picnic basket had to be opened in order to meet this judicious demand and this being done the sibyl was gratified with a handsome wedge of veal pie this partly dispatched and partly pocketed she made the familiar request for a piece of silver to cross the young lady's palm which charm being performed she could tell things that would please her james complied and justina surrendered her hand most unwillingly to the gypsy's brown claw the sibyl told the usual story happy wooing prosperous wedded life all things were to go smoothly for the blue-eyed lady and the blue-eyed gentleman but beware of a dark man said the witch who felt it necessary to introduce some shadow in her picture beware of a dark-complexioned man i won't say as he's spades 
better call him clubs perhaps be on your guard against a clubman my sweet young lady and gentleman for he bears a jealous heart towards you both and he stands to do you harm if he has the power that will do said james we've had enough for our money thank you old lady you can move on to the next carriage don't be offended with the poor gypsy your honour she's truth spoken and plain spoken and she sees deeper into things than some folks would give her credit for and thus after an affectionate farewell the prophetess pursued her way other prophetesses followed in her wake all begging for food and wine and james lavished more champagne in this direction than mr elgood approved but even his good nature wore out at last and he grew tired of these copper-skinned mendicants some with babies in arms for whom they begged a little drop of champagne or the claw of a lobster the races went on the great race was at hand now then justina we must have something on said james you don't mind me calling you justina do you i don't mind the girl answered simply if father doesn't well you see i can't ask him now but i will by and by we can let the question stand over and i may call you justina meanwhile mayn't i justina he asked softly if you like she answered almost in a whisper they stood so near together that there was no need for either of them to speak loud even amidst the noise of the racecourse look here now justina i'll bet you a dozen gloves even money that free and easy doesn't win that's giving you a great advantage for they are laying three to two on the favourite i don't think i can bet said justina embarrassed if i were to lose i could not pay you ladies never pay debts come if ify and assa wins you shall have a dozen pairs of the prettiest gloves i can buy straw-coloured pink pearl-grey which is your favourite colour i like any kind of gloves answered the girl remembering two wretched pairs which had been to the cleaners so often that their insides were all over numbers like a multiplication table now came the start breathlessness attention strained almost to agony a hoarse clamour yonder in and about the ring one big man wearing a white hat with a black hat-band offering frantically to bet ten to one against anything bar one then a shout as of universal victory for free and easy has shot suddenly to the front after having been tenderly nursed during the first half-mile or so and now she comes along gallantly with a great lead and her backers tremble and now cold dews break out upon the foreheads of those eager backers for another horse almost an unknown animal creeps up to ifianassa gallops shoulder to shoulder with the oak's winner passes her and wins by a neck while a suppressed groan from the many losers mingles with the hurrahs of that miserable outside public which never stakes more than half a sovereign and is ready to cheer any horse only among the bookmen is there real rejoicing for they have been betting against the favourite you've lost your gloves justina never mind we'll have another venture on the next race it's a selling stake and we can go and see the auction afterwards such fun and now for the basket make yourself useful elgood mrs dempson you must be famishing mrs dempson upon being pressed owed to feeling a little faint a lady of mrs dempson's calibre never confesses to being hungry with her want of food only produces a genteel faintness the basket was emptied lobster chicken pie set out upon a tablecloth laid out on the front seat of the carriage then the scrambling meal began the ladies seated with plates in their laps the gentlemen standing 
again james and justina shared the same glass of champagne while mr elgood obligingly held on by the bottle and filled his own glass by instalments so that it was never empty and never full mr dempson was moderate but jovial mrs dempson protested vehemently every time her glass was replenished but contrived to drink the wine out of politeness james was the gayest of amphitryons he kept on declaring that he had never enjoyed himself so much never had such a jolly day i am sorry your friend is not with us remarked mr elgood with his mouth full of lobster he has lost a treat his loss is our gain observed mr dempson there'd have been less champagne for the rest of us if he'd been here my friend is an ass said james carelessly his errant fancy so easily caught was quite enchained by this time he had been growing fonder of justina all day and with the growth of his boyish passion his anger against maurice increased he had almost made up his mind to do the very thing which clissold had stigmatized as madness he had almost made up his mind to marry the actor's daughter he was in love with her and how else should his love end he came of too good a stock had too good a heart to contemplate a dishonourable ending it only remained for him to discover if he really loved her if this fancy that had but dawned upon him yesterday were indeed the beginning of his fate or that considerable part of a man's destiny which is involved in his marriage he had been very little in the society of women since his mother's death his brief harmless flirtations had been chiefly with damsels of the barmaid class and after these meretricious charmers justina with her wild rose-tinted cheeks and innocent blue eyes seemed youth and purity personified justina looked shyly up at her admirer happier than words could have told little had she ever tasted of pleasure's maddening cup before to-day the flavour of the wine was not stranger to her lips than the flavour of joy to her soul for her girlhood had meant hard work and deprivation since she had been young enough to play hopscotch on the doorstep with a neighbour's children and think it happiness she had hardly known what it was to be glad to-day life brimmed over with enchantment a carriage a picnic races all the glad gay world smiling at her she looked at james with a grateful smile when he asked her if she was enjoying herself how can i help enjoying myself she said i never had such a day in my life it will all be over to-night and to-morrow the world will look just as it does when one awakens from a wonderful dream i have had dreams just like to-day she added simply might we not lengthen the dream find some enjoyment for to-morrow asked james we might even come to the races again if you like we couldn't come there will be a long rehearsal to-morrow we play the new burlesque to-morrow night and i thought you were going away to-morrow your friend said so my friend would have been wiser had he spoken for himself and not for me i shall stay till the races are over longer perhaps how long do you stay till next saturday week unless the business should get too bad then i think i shall stay till next saturday week i can read a greek play at ebersham as well as anywhere else and i don't see why i should be hurried from place to place to please clissold added the young man rebelliously there had been no hurrying from place to place hitherto they had done a good deal of wales and the english lakes by easy stages stopping at quiet inns and reading hard in the intervals of their pedestrianism and james had been completely happy with the bosom friend of his youth it was only since yesterday that the bosom friend had been transformed into a tyrant 
clissold had warned and reproved before to-day he had spoken with a voice of wisdom when james seemed going a little too far in some village flirtation and james had listened meekly enough but this time james penwin's soul rejected counsel he was angry with his friend for not thinking it the most natural thing in the world that he squire penwin of penwin should fall head over ears in love with a country actor's daughter i may come behind the scenes to-night mayn't i justina asked james by and by when the last race was over and he and justina had seen the winner dispose of to the highest bidder and the patriarchal tub was rolling swiftly oh too swiftly back to the town back to common life and the old dull world you must ask father or mr dempson justina answered meekly sometimes they make a fuss about any one coming into the green room but i don't suppose they would about you it would be very ungrateful if they did james asked the question of mr elgood and was answered heartily he was to consider the ebersham green room an adjunct to his hotel and the ebersham theatre as open to him as his club without question of payment at the doors your name shall be left with the money-taker the heavy father said somewhat thickly mr dempson laughed our friend is a trifle screwed he said but i dare say he'll get through sir oliver pretty well the play was the school for scandal a genteel entertainment in honour of the patrons of the races the roomy travelling carriage was blundering through one of the narrower streets near the cathedral when james penwin stood up suddenly and looked behind him what's the matter asked mr dempson nothing i thought i saw a fellow i know that's all he's just gone into that public house the quiet-looking little place at the corner i fancied i saw him on the course but i don't see how it could be the man added james dubiously what should bring him down here it isn't in his line end of volume one chapter six and seven